PFL is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Tennessee ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest easiest way to get into the game you can get uh, in-app panoramic seat photos from every section so you know hey this is where i'm sitting and this is where my view is so if there's a giant pole in front of you you will find that out before you hit purchase so you know you're not going to get into the stadium and be disappointed there's tickets across every major league every team uh, whatever you want to go game time can take you there it's a simple quick app easy to navigate two tap checkout that's always nice if you need to buy them in a hurry. And, of course, there's sports tickets, but you can also get tickets to music, concerts, uh, theater, whatever you want to find, Game Time can take you there. So head to the App Store, the Play Now Store, or go download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Again, I am your host, David Ubbin, and this is the post-Alabama free episode of PFL. I am uh, here with my co-host, as always, uh, Joe Rexroad, Nashville columnist uh, at The Athletic. I cover Tennessee football. Uh, Joe, that was uh, an interesting evening. Uh, An interesting evening, more interesting than we thought for both uh, Vanderbilt and Tennessee. We will focus the discussion today on Tennessee, uh, any any overwhelming takeaway before we before we get into the fifty seven talking points we have to cover uh, on that <laughs> display? Well, yes, we do have some things to cover, David. First of all, <laughs> I, I I think I have to give you a little credit for toughness here. I covered Vanderbilt shocking, and and it was shocking. Went over Missouri. And you came home, you know, nice little short drive home. Had a nice restful night watching Tennessee, <laughs> Alabama on television. You had the, I believe, uh, 4 to 8 a.m. sleep shift and then a nice long drive home from Birmingham. So uh, I want to give you some toughness credit here. And if I had one overall takeaway, David, and there are a lot of little things about this game we're going to get into, but my takeaway is you know, Tennessee right now is playing good enough overall football, I think, to have several wins ahead if it can maintain that. Yeah, I think, that, that, I th- night, I think there's progress. Last night was the team I, I wrote this in my post game column. Last night was the team that we thought we were going to see, like all season. Yeah, like flawed in many ways, undermanned in many ways, but like capable, pretty tough, and some talented guys on the field. Uh, so let's get into it. We we got to start with the snap, uh, the 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 sneak herd round the world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tennessee at that point is down twenty eight thirteen. Alabama, when two left, obviously the the offense sort of grinded to a halt. But Tennessee goes uh, sixty six yards in fourteen plays, gets down to the end uh, to the one yard line, and then uh, it gets a little muddy. Uh, to say the least, the um, Jared Garantano attempts to sneak the ball, tries to jump over to basically the offensive line and the defensive line. They'd had two successful sneaks previously. It 
does not come close. Trevon Diggs scoops it up on the back end, runs it, what, 102-some yards for, for a touchdown. And you look at the play, obviously, Trey Smith pulling out uh, to his left from left guard. Uh, your fullback, Corvaris, or Corvaris Crouch also, the running back in that formation, a power formation. They looked a little confused. And then, of course, Pruitt uh, displeased after the play. What did you make of all the crosstalk after the game? It sounded a lot like Jeremy Pruitt not looking to sort of clarify exactly what happened. I think, obviously, it was a situation where if you had a chance to absolve your quarterback, your fourth-year junior quarterback, of any uh, blame, he did not do that. And, and instead, from him and, and his offensive line, you, you saw a lot of guys sort of hemming and hawing of the exact details. A lot of guys... I'm not sure what happened. I'm not sure what the call was. What did you make of, of that situation? Well, you did a great job of put, you know, laying everything out uh, in your piece on theathletic.com, your 3 a.m. submitted piece on theathletic.com. <laughs> they and had I thought, 9 p.m. kickoffs forever, just for the record. <laughs> I know fans hate hearing us complain, but darn it, they're oh. ridiculous. <laughs> Noon's forever. Um, you know, the, the quote, I mean, I think the quote, and it's not a guy you would ever expect to give – you know, shed a lot of light on something. But Brandon Kennedy, when we left the huddle, we had one call, but I'm not sure what happened between that. You know, that's yeah. probably the most uh, insightful comment. Obviously, Jeremy Pruitt didn't want to get into it. I mean, when you watch Trey Smith pull on that play, it makes you think that there was a different call and that maybe Garantano fastballed it and trumped the call, and obviously it <laughs> it went very poorly. And Jeremy Pruitt's uh, reaction and and as you pointed out the fact that JT Shroud is out on the next possession yep it tells you I mean, and that's you know they just wanted to get him some reps Joe they got to get yeah, some yeah. valuable handoff and kneeling reps got to get those just, reps in just a random time <laughs> to just throw him in there yeah I mean I think it's obvious and look the, the like Pruitt's anger and we can talk about that too but Pruitt's anger was not the anger of someone who didn't like how his quarterback sneaked or ran the yeah. called play. It was the anger of someone who was like, why in the world did we just do that? So Yeah, what I thought happened, so okay, so there's the so-called, you know, the theory that that, that the, the JG went rogue theory, that he, that he called his own number. In the moment, while everything was happening, you know, that felt a little far-fetched to me. JG is sort of not really that kind of guy. Obviously, it's been a frustrating season for him, but you know, my theory at the time was that he he went to the line, saw something, made a check, and there was yeah. some miscommunication. That's kind of what I thought live. But yep. if you go back and you look at it and you you piece together what everyone said, no one knows what's happening. Brandon Kennedy, he doesn't know what the call is. Trey Smith is obviously pulling. Your backs in the backfield are confused. If a couple got – I mean, there's no way you can make a check at the line in that situation and no one knows what's happening. No, because no one said, yeah, you know, he called, he checked to a sneak and we didn't, and, and a couple guys were confused. If that's what happened, that's what happened. You know, thing that's, that, that is what it is. But you add all those things up and the, the JG went rogue theory, it, it gets pretty uh, tough to explain it as anything else. I, I just think, you know, as far fetched as it seemed at the time, when you look at that play and you look at how little everyone else on the field expected, I think. What sort of happened is, you know, and, and Trevor Pruitt was, was frustrated that they hurried up, too. I mean, they went to the line. I think JG thought that the, the, the tackles were too wide, 
and he tried to go quick. I think he saw it. And he t- I, I think he probably did call his number. I don't think it was some sort of sabotage moment. I think it was a, a poor football IQ moment that obviously Bama had a pinch on. The play that Tennessee had called to Crouch, where you have Trey Smith as your lead blocker, looked like it was going to work pretty well. It yeah. did not work. And so, you know, the anger that the Pruitt had and, and that, that the fans have obviously had um, for a guy that they've obviously been frustrated with for a long time, I mean – I don't have a better explanation. If you put all the pieces together, I think I buy the more, um, you know, uh, unforeseen scenario rather than the one that I thought happened live, personally. Well, I guess, okay, but my question would be, isn't it still possible that that is a check that's in there for him and that he did try and that just X number of people didn't get it because they're in an end zone of a, you know, of a very loud stadium? I mean, couldn't... I guess both. I mean, I guess to me, I still think it could be not him totally going rogue, but just an ill-advised check that is is there for him, but still an ill-advised check, and obviously that didn't get commuted well. Is that not still possible? It's plausible. It's plausible. Uh, I mean, that's the thing when no one really wants to answer the questions. You know, it's it's you'll never quite know for sure. But that's that's what I'm saying. If that's what happened, then they have no reason to sort of say, well, this is what happened. That's where I come in. Right. If 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 what if what I described is what happened and they don't want to, you know, throw their teammate under the bus who's obviously had a rough night and and is going to get plenty of blame based on what happened, then I think you see the kinds of answers that we saw. And I think that is what makes me feel because like I said, if it's an if it's an honest miscommunication error, you know, then that's that's what it is. But you, you, we asked Trey Smith, you know, what was the miscommunication? Well, I don't want to get too into our calls. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? That makes no sense. Like, okay. Like, I don't think Bama's going to go back and scout and, uh, you know, uh, I, I think it was kind of what I, what I suspected is that, you know, it's, it's uh, a situation where a less than ideal outcome for sure but the journey with which they got there, I think, has has his teammates confused and and his coach angry, uh, probably still angry. And and Tennessee, I mean, that took that game from a one possession game with an offense that had done very very little. Uh, Alabama Mac Jones did not have it. Uh, yep. He took it from one possession game, but to basically game over. It's a three possession game. You're not coming back from that. Uh, and just you know, it, it's it's. We may never fully know exactly what happened, but I think when you piece together the deep, the, 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 all the evidence that you have, the quotes after the game, the actual play itself, what everyone else is doing in assignment, I find it hard to believe that he could make a check and his own center doesn't really even know exactly what happened. You know? Yeah, well, yeah, and you know what? Regardless, I think it's... I think we're all comfortable saying Jared Garantano made a made a mental mistake there that ended the game. I mean that yeah. you know whatever the exact context is, I don't think there's any question. And then of course, the Pruitt Yeah, what did you make of the Pruitt, the Pruitt aftermath? Here's another example, David, another example, and especially on Twitter of either Jeremy Pruitt is a bloodthirsty monster <laughs> who just committed, you know, a crime against humanity. Or everyone's a bunch of snowflakes, and oh, you obviously didn't play football. Like there's, there is a middle ground. The middle ground is, 
I, I mean, look, when I saw it, my first reaction is, oh, people are going to have a problem with that. And that is the reality of today. I mean, you, you can't you can't think that things are exactly the same. Football is not exactly the same. I mean, you see it again. Go watch a game from 10, 20 years ago. Watch it now. It's different, and how coaches deal with players is different, and I think that's progress. So I knew that there would be a, a conversation about Pruitt grabbing his face mask. I also watched it, and he you know, grabbed it really briefly, and he let go, and he didn't yank him around the sideline. And it's not, you know, it's not the massive deal that some, including some in media, are making it right now. So I just, I'm in between on it. And I think it's okay to be in between. I like being in between because most of these things, it's like you have to pick a side and then you really kind of sound silly if you're going to argue it that hard. I, I just, it's, it's, I don't think it's something that's going to last much longer. I do think for people who especially are, anti-Pruitt are looking for things against Pruitt, they'll continue to talk about it. Yeah, the game, the experience in a stadium covering a game is always pretty interesting. Um, live, I did not see the actual play uh, or the, the post-Pruitt thing. I had seen some tweets, and I was like, well, I mean, that doesn't sound very good. I didn't get to actually see the play until right before Pruitt's press conference. And I must say my reaction was like, that was, that was it. Like yeah. it, 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 the way that people were talking about it did not really line up with what I actually saw. And I, and I, I'm kind of with you. I, would he, is it the best thing? Would Pruitt probably like to have that back? Can you get your message across without grabbing the face mask? Yeah, you probably can. I don't know what that actually accomplishes. Uh, even if, uh, you know, JG has the, the reputation of, of sort of, you know, being a guy that can sort of just kind of keep on walking when, when coaches are angry with him. You can get your message across without doing that. Um, but, yeah, would he, you know, would that be the best way to handle that situation? I'd say probably not. Uh, is it something that, you know, we need to talk about, you know, Jeremy Pruitt is everything that's wrong with college football and point to that? <laughs> You know, it's it's a little much uh, from from where I'm sitting. But again, it's 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 one of those things when you haven't really won that much and you don't have that much capital built up. These are the kind of things and the kind of situations that are going to happen when when you have small situations like this. It can blow up into bigger things. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I covered Tom Izzo for a long time. Most of my career, I covered Tom Izzo, and I saw Tom Izzo become unhinged at players. You know, all the time in practice and games. The NCAA tournament last year, he really lashed out and to the point where people actually held him back in the huddle in the NCAA tournament, um, angry at freshman guard Aaron Henry, and that became a big story. And it was one of the – ultimately, I knew tons of people were going to come to Izzo's defense because, one, they know that's how he is, and also because he does have credibility. You know, he has good relationships with his players for the most part, and so there's – you know, that matters. And also he's won and he has a lot of capital built up over, you know, winning and just having good relationships and all that stuff. But like anyone who just was a casual fan who saw that and just looked at it, I would not blame them for thinking what in the world is wrong with this guy? You know, but there's an example of, you know, someone who has cushion, you know, and Pruitt does not. And in fact, I would argue that not only does Pruitt not have cushion, I would say he has the opposite of cushion with some people, I, I, yeah. you know, and I, so 
so I think something like that. I, I, I would love to see the reaction to that exact thing with some different coaches in college football. Like if Dabo Swinney did that, yeah. I, I, I honestly don't think the reaction would be the same. I think you're probably right about that. Um, a wild night in general. I, I was sitting next to uh, uh, my former colleague Ivan Mazel uh, over at ESPN. Uh, he was uh, down in Tuscaloosa, and I was talking to him before the game and said, "You know, I, I'm not sure what all there's going to be to be to write about this game. You know, we'll see." I, I think I was I was expecting a pretty sleepy game on paper, and dare I say, was that the most compelling four quarters of the season? For Tennessee, they're they're hanging around. Tua goes out. The window for something is is wide open. Mac Jones, you know, did not have it. Uh, Tennessee is not able to take advantage for a variety of reasons. We'll get there. Was that the most compelling Tennessee game of the year from start to finish? Yeah, it might have been. And, you know, it was really on its way before the the play that we've talked about already a lot. I mean, that yeah. I, you know, to see how Alabama responds only up, a possession knowing that it's so limited offensively with two out of the game that, I mean, that really could have been something, but even I agree. I think, I think you may be onto something there. It may have been as compelling as anything in terms of an entire game. And of course the officiating also, I, you know, I, I, you know, I hate to like talk about it as much as I do like college and NFL, but it seems like it's just, getting worse maybe i'm wrong maybe i maybe i'm i'm torn on that because i i I think there's a lot of calls where you wonder what the heck's going on but then you also think about the advent of slow-mo and review yeah i I wonder how much of it is uh the existence of bad calls or the ability to analyze and show i I don't really know but slow-mo i don't know there's any any way to do a sort of a qualitative and quantitative analysis of of you know, officiating now versus officiating in 1984. I don't know how we would do that. Yeah, slow-mo and review aren't brand new, though. And, and, I, and I, I think that I'm sure, like, in terms of if you want to compare this to a past era, I don't think there's any question. I mean, you, again, go back and not only watch, like, how much more brutal the game is, but how many more just totally blown calls happen. It's just like, eh, bad call, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, so. The human but, elements, Joe. <laughs> yeah, but, but also I, I do think that the emphasis on just calling more stuff has been problematic. And, you know, the, the the biggest issue I had Saturday night was, of course, the late hit, you know, um, which was the key moment of that game um, on, uh, on Mac Jones when it's sort of just, you know, getting up from hitting him. I mean, that to me was an awful, awful and, and very costly call. There were some other bad calls. I hate how this turns into like it's an SEC conspiracy or it's a everybody loves Alabama. I mean, you know, it's 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 not that, but there were some there were some bad calls that went against the Vols. Yeah, I, you know, all the penalties. Pruitt didn't, you know, he was salty obviously, but he didn't say anything to get fined. He just basically said, you know, we're the least penalized team in the SEC, uh, and we had you know I think more penalties in the first quarter than we did in you know any game this year. Uh, you know, Nigel Warrior, you know, went the furthest. He said he didn't think that that particular Taylor play should have been called. He called it petty. You know, I mean, these things, I think, even out over the history of football, I, I don't know that any one program is more cursed than the other. But uh, people, you know, the conspiracy stuff is, is really silly because, I, you know, if you know anything about how the officiating works and how much 
um, quality control there is. Just it's not something that happens. Now, I will say, I do think good teams do get the benefit of the doubt, and I yes. think that's often because of unconscious bias. It's the same yep. reason why the LeBron James and the James Hardens get these whistles because there's a, there's an assumption well, he didn't. That didn't look right. So surely he must have gotten fouled, and you assume some things. Now that doesn't happen on the Taylor play. But when you talk about pass interference, you talk about holding calls. I think it does happen. But the conference office ordered this stuff, and they're protecting Bama. This stuff is silly. I mean, people are, you know, it's it's ignorant, it's uninformed, and I think it's insulting to the people that do the work that are really trying to do the best that they can. I mean, I, I've you know talked to and, and been around enough officials in college football that, that these guys are trying, and, and Jerry Pruitt sort of prefaced his comments with that too. It's a tough job. Uh, they're a very difficult job. But, yes, Tennessee absolutely got the short end of so many situations with officiating. The Taylor penalty is the worst. We didn't talk about, you know, the trick play they had queued up in the red zone where they stopped yep. the game. I don't. I still am not sure. You know, I haven't been able to complete the rewatch just yet thanks to the 9 p.m. kick at a – 4 a.m. you know bedtime and 8 a.m. Come on, man! What's wrong? I know. Slacking. I I, I gotta. We gotta get that athletic money to uh, give me a private driver from Birmingham to Knoxville (laughs) so I can work in the back seat. But the um, you know, I I think it's it's uh, it's it's, I mean, inexplicable in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the Taylor penalty again was the worst, and uh, they they sometimes when when you have it's like so. Okay, so it's like if you're writing and you misspell a player's name or you make some basic error. Okay, that doesn't really affect how good of a writer you may or may not be, but it allows people to to sort of – it undercuts what you do. And when you call a holding penalty on that Juwan Jennings play and you call it on the wrong guy, you say it's Wanya Morris when it's really Tim Jordan, it's the same kind of thing. Tim Jordan probably held on that play. Uh, it yes, affected he did. the play. But, like, again, when you have this officiating issue and you call it on the wrong guy, it sort of it undercuts your good faith efforts in a lot of ways. No doubt. By the way, Tim Jordan, I, I, I'd like to promise that from, I will never again confuse Tim Jordan and Jeremy Banks as I did twice on the podcast. <laughs> Big time he, game for him. Big time. And then he gets. He, he, well, I tell you what, you got to be impressed with how he is running the football right now. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he has changed Eric Gray's role. And I, and I, I mean, I, if I'm. Jeremy Pruitt, and we're seeing Jim Chaney. I want that guy running the football. He is running with such force right now. But here's here's what I think about officiating: the conspiracy stuff, the idea that there's some, you know, overarching, you know, directive to do this or that would destroy the, the, the product. The Illuminati, yeah. Joe. The Illuminati. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you're you're talking about destroying your product, and that this is not stuff that is going to be, you know, is not going to get out. Okay, it's ridiculous. It's dumb. It's tinfoil hat stuff. I also think this officials should be accountable after games. I will scream it until I'm done doing this. I've never heard a good reason. You know, we have the pool reporter thing, but they should, they should be available to answer questions after games. They should be publicly accountable. And while the conspiracy stuff in terms of a league wanting this or that to happen or the, the sport or TV executives, that's all dumb, but gamblers do target officials that has been documented it, a lot of things, I think, have not been documented. I mean, it just makes total sense. There's a lot of money here. These are people who don't make a lot of money. These are people who, with two or three well-placed calls, can change the outcome of a game. And so I'm, I think that doesn't get talked about enough. I think the conspiracy stuff gets talked about too much, and I would love for these officials 
to be publicly accountable and to be paid more and to be trained more and in every league to be to share in the money more than they do because they have such important jobs. They absolutely determine outcomes. So yeah. that's my that's my little soapbox moment on the officials. Uh, one call I did just to get the last word on a Twitter fight, David. Uh, you know, Daniel Batuli's <laughs> char- uh, targeting call was exactly right. And I, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, what's he supposed to do to stop him at the goal line? You know, he led with his head. And the answer is that sometimes you lose on a play. You know, I mean, if that's the only thing he could have done, I mean, you have to turn and you have to try to use your shoulder. If that was the only way he was going to stop him at the inch line, when I mean, is Bama not going to score the next play, by the way? You know, then, mm-hmm. then like, you don't do it and you and you live to play another play. And Batuli's a terrific player, and I don't think there was any malice whatsoever. But it's just that one to me was easy, and that's why it took so – it didn't take long at all for the call to be made after review. I mean, it's – you know, like there's a lot of targeting calls that we complain about, and I agree. Sometimes it's like, what is this guy supposed to do? The runner lowered his head or whatever it is. And a lot of them I have a problem with. That's one of those that they're trying to get rid of. It's like either you 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 try another way or the guy scores, and then you keep playing in this football game. Yeah. You know, there's just so many what-ifs. Uh, but with all the noise that happened last night, somehow – like the fact that Tennessee loses Brian Maurer in that game as like the fourth most interesting thing and the fourth like biggest what if in that ball game. I think I gotta say, Joe, I think I'm willing to go there. I think if Maurer is not concussed for the second time in eight days in that game, I think Tennessee wins this game. I really do. I think Alabama was a little bit shook without Tua. They played pretty conservative. But Mac Jones, when he needed to make throws, was not able to make throws. Six completions on the day. Three of those were to backs. One of those to the to the uh, to the receivers was a screen pass. Uh, it's you know it's it's uh, I'm willing to go there. Where do you stand on on that particular what if? You know we need to argue more, David. But I can't ar- <laughs> I can't argue with you on that. I, I, I and I'll tell you what I'll argue with myself. I will. Another Mia culpa, along with the Jeremy Banks, Tim Jordan gaffes. Um, I, I was totally wrong when I wrote after the Florida game that a move to Maurer is essentially punting on the season, and that you know your 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 better chance still lies with the fourth year junior. That's not true. He is better than Garantano, and he is an exciting player. He's going to keep making mistakes, but if the Vols have him, I just I really like his feel for the game and obviously his talent and his enthusiasm. And I think he, I think he does bring an energy to the team that Garantano doesn't. And so uh, the, the, the tough part of course, for Tennessee and Maurer is that now you're talking about two straight weeks, you know, with a concussion and that's scary stuff in this day and age. So, you know, the, this South Carolina game is just a critical game. I think it's a winnable game with Maurer and, you know, maybe maybe with Garantano too, but I really like their chances a lot better if they can have them. But two straight weeks of head stuff is it's scary. Yeah, and an underrated part of this game, I touched on it in my my piece, the athletic on uh, the game as well. Tennessee played two two good games in a row. It's an encouraging sign. I think Alabama, without Tua, they still looked like a top ten to fifteen team. They were very mortal, but that was a big time atmosphere. And while that was a moral victory, you know, there's no such thing next week. If you're serious about making a run at a bowl game, they absolutely have to have that game. I mean, if you don't get it, you got to go run the table, beat Mizzou on the road to do it. 
So as encouraging as that was for the future of Tennessee under Jeremy Pruitt, you can undo that in 60 minutes pretty easy next week. So next week is it's a must-win game. I think you, you know, if you, you know, Tennessee got in a really good situation last year and just came out flat in a pair of games. If you do that again this year, you're going to have an issue. Um, and I'm very intrigued to see how this team responds. I, I suspect they will respond well. I think this is a team that's invested, but you never know. I thought the same thing, you know, against uh, Mizzou and Vanderbilt last year, and, and that is not what we saw. Well, and listen, I, I've, I've now seen Missouri once, and I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I've, I've changed my thoughts on Tennessee's chances there as well. I mean, well, Missouri's home I, road splits are very interesting. This is the same team that lost on the road at Wyoming and has beaten the crap out of a bunch of teams at home. So it, it's it's weird to say that. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's there makes it much tougher. But no, I agree. I mean, th- this is this is a huge game, and um, it probably it probably decides one way or the other. I mean, I, I really think if the Vols can get this, I. I, I really think they have a shot, you know, to, to finish with six. Um, but if not, that's, that's a that's a big ask. That is a big ask. So mm-hmm. uh, huge week, and I can't. I, I'm excited to be there in the press box with you for a human kickoff time. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I was uh, in Tuscaloosa. A quick, uh, we'll send you out on a food note. I w- I went to Dreamland last year. I'm not like a huge ribs guy. But like I, it was it was okay. Archibald's, uh, my first time in Tuscaloosa. Uh, I knew I had to stop by there. Crazy to me. I thought that Andy Staples, our our, our resident uh, food expert at the Athletic, I thought maybe he was being a little too mean to people that believed that there was a debate between Dreamland and Archibald's. I, he might yeah, he too, he is pretty. He mean might about be being it. too nice. He might be being too nice. Having really? eaten both of them. I was shocked. Uh, Archibald is in another galaxy. Uh, greatly enjoy that. Again, I'm more of a St. Louis ribs guy, Bogarts, uh, Pappies. I'm kind of more of that style. But uh, Archibald's, uh, fantastic. I enjoyed my uh, my stop there on Saturday. Have you been to Archibald's or Dreamland? I've been to neither. So, um, you got to correct that. I, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, mean, I was in Tuscaloosa a couple years ago, didn't. You know, because staying in Birmingham and it's just it's hard to. Uh, yeah, that was the one advantage sh- of the 9 p.m. kick. I was able to get uh, get some some good get there way early, right? Yeah, yeah I think that mm-hmm. I want to say the game a couple years ago. I think it was actually a 3:30 start, but no, I have not been either. But you're right. I mean, Staples is so outspoken about it. Apparently, right. there are people who think <laughs> that Dreamland is better. I'm still going to keep an open mind though. And and maybe in in a single day, uh, you know, eat both because I, I want to know for myself. Darn it! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that will do it for this week's uh, episode of PFL. A wild game in Alabama. I thought that was going to be the most, the only really boring game left on the schedule, with the exception of perhaps UAB. Although we'll see. And and you know, it was the most entertaining game of the season. Tennessee last year. They really only had one game that was in doubt late, that, that uh, South Carolina game, and they had a bunch of pretty sleepy games. This has been an entertaining season. Uh, obviously disappointing for fans, but uh, compelling ball games uh, for various reasons uh, many, many times. And uh, it's been quite a year. We will be there to uh, chronicle the rest of it. So thank you for listening. Uh, if you have not subscribed to The Athletic, I would suggest you do that. Uh, I think I may be biased, but I think we do some good stuff. Uh, 
So yeah, for Joe Rexroad, my co-host with The Athletic Nashville, I am your host, David Oven. We'll see you again later this week for our midweek subscribers-only episode. See you guys again soon. Thank you.